The following presentation was recorded at the Newbury Buddhist Monastery, Victoria, Australia. Please visit our website at nbm.org.au. Okay, so it's uh, very nice to see all of you this morning and over the past few days I've got to meet some of you and thanks for uh, braving the braving the drizzle to come here this morning and get up early on a Sunday morning. Um, it's very good to see you all coming out here to make uh, offerings of generosity to the Sangha, to come and do some chanting and some meditation, and to really be encouraging to those around you to come and practice the Dhamma. And so that's, that's actually what I thought I might talk about today. Uh, what is this thing that we call the Dhamma? Now, we might have we might have all all have opinions or views or have some idea of what the Dhamma is. If somebody asks us, we say, "Of course, we know what the Dhamma is. It's the teachings of the Buddha." Um, but, and we might just think that, uh, well, what is the Dhamma? This is oh, this is easy. This is just Buddhism 101. This is easy for me to. Uh, uh, easy for me to know, but what I'd like to try to share with you this morning is, is actually if you continually recollect what the Dhamma is and you investigate it quite regularly and keep bringing it in and keep going over it, this can be a, a very profound way for you to uh, investigate your own experience, but not only that, but to give you give you a, a a sort of a drive and a purpose of what you're actually looking for in your practice. And so what I'd like to try to explain in some way is that while the Dhamma is many things, it can be seen as the teachings of the Buddha or some sort of religion or a philosophy or some kind of for some kind of uh, system. It's at another level of that, it points to the inner nature of our own experience. And for me, this is what's the most important part of the Dhamma. And so because it points to this inner state, it's about our own practice and about our own looking at our own experience to see this. And so if we, if we continually look outwards for the Dhamma, then we're not really going to find it. It's something that is within our own experience. Um, so, but I guess at a deeper level, what is that? What is this thing that is our own experience? And what I'd like to try to uh, suggest to you today is that it's something that you have to look inside for. But before I go down too many rabbit holes of exactly what it is, we probably probably good to define it in some way. Uh, what actually is the Dharma in terms of a conceptual analysis of what it is? If we if we Dhamma as a concept, it's actually quite old. Um, it's a lot older than just uh, how we understand it in Buddhism. It's permeated Indian thought for for thousands and thousands of years, and it originated in Vedic Hinduism. And Dhamma as a concept, it can mean so many different things in so many different contexts. It can mean something different in Hinduism or Buddhism or Jainism or Sikhism. Uh, and it encompasses so many different things. It encompasses things like 
the way we behave, the natural order of the universe, the, the, the duties, the rights, the rituals that we have. Uh, it explains about phenomena. And it's been so central to uh, Indian uh, philosophy and thought and culture and society that it actually they put a Dhamma wheel in the middle of the Indian flag. So that's how important it is to uh, this Indian Indian thought. And so there's no real great one-to-one -one translation of exactly what the Dhamma is. It's very, very broad. But if we drill down on it a little bit more, okay, well, what does Dhamma mean in terms of Buddhism? The, you know, the first thing we can say what that the Dhamma is, is that it is the teachings and the sayings of the Buddha. Uh, and not just the Buddha, the enlightened beings. And it's, it can be considered anything that's in the, you know, 84,000 teachings of the Pali Canon. Uh, so that's one way that we can describe what Dhamma is. Uh, another way we can describe what Dhamma is, is what we just we just went through them, we took refuge in the, the triple gem. And one of, those, one of those aspects of that is the Dhamma. So we're taking refuge in the, in the teachings and the way of practice of the Buddha. So that's, you know, that's another way to understand it. Uh, going a little bit deeper about what the Dhamma actually is, is that it uh, is... The Buddha described Dhamma as, as uh, a natural law or the truth of, of existence. And also he described it as, he, he could describe it in terms of it's, it's some sort of phenomena. It's either mental phenomena or physical phenomena out in the world. And the Buddha was quite careful when he talked about Dhamma as a phenomena. He talked about it in terms of that the phenomena was dependently arisen and so that helped differentiate it from the Vedic meaning and, and was able to, he was able to build more of his, his thought around, around Dhamma in that respect and to separate it out. So if we look at any one of these things, we see it as the teachings of the Buddha, we see it as uh, something that we go for refuge in, we see it as phenomena, we see it as a state of truth. You know, if we were to be asked about what the Dhamma is and we gave any one of those answers, that's this is totally fine and it's, it's correct, but uh, what I'd like to encourage you is you just don't stop there when you think about what the Dhamma is. Really try to understand it a bit more. So what is this thing that's the Dhamma? What is this thing that's the truth? What is this thing that is the nature of our own experience? How do we, get, how do we drill deeper into that? How do we understand that? The Buddha said that the Dhamma was the truth of our existence. So how do we get to that? And this thing that is the nature of truth of our own existence is something we're striving towards when we practice. But again, that seems it can be very abstract and formless. And if you think about Dhamma as another way to ex uh, explain what Dhamma is, it's the state of enlightenment to realize the Dhamma and to see the Dhamma. This is this state of enlightenment, this state of freedom, this state of being unbounded by anything in the world and not attaching to anything. But still, that doesn't, it doesn't really get at what it is. So what, what is a way to explain something that is inexplainable? 
Uh, what is a way to explain something that is formless? And so I think one way that I've actually practiced a lot over the years in doing this is recollecting the, the actual the chant that we just did, we did just then. Uh, that is the chant of the recollections of the qualities of the Dhamma. And that, you know, if you remember, it's suakato pagawata tammo sanditiko akaliko ehipasiko opanaiko pachatang wetitapo winyuhi. If you look at that and you uh, look at the translation of that and what the words actually mean, it's not it's not pointing to something of like, okay, that's the Four Noble Truths, or that's the Eightfold Path, or that's you know, developing meditation, developing kindness, um, uh, adhering to a particular kind of set of rules. It, it doesn't actually mean that. What that chant is pointing towards is that it's explaining something, something about the inner nature of our own existence. It's about an internal state of mind or an internal quality of mind. When we explain what the Dhamma is, it's not something outside. It's an internal quality of the mind. So if you, if you take that chant and you take the translations of it and really pull it apart and really look at it line by line and word by word, it can be something very deep and very profound for you to actually to, to contemplate and to give you guidance and to give you... Uh, purpose and direction in your practice. So if you if you look at the first line is sawakato pakawata tammo and what this line means is the Dhamma is well expounded by the Blessed One or the Dhamma is well expounded by the Buddha. If you think about what that means, the Dhamma is well expounded by the Buddha. What's what's that actually pointing to? The Buddha was able, you know, ostensibly by himself, to become enlightened and to realize this formless, free, liberated state of mind. He was able to do this ostensibly without another teacher. He was able to realize this, but not only was he able to realize this, but he was able to explain this very difficult concept to, to many, many people. He was able to put that inner experience into words and even above and beyond that of just putting this inner experience into words he was able to outline a whole set of practices and methods and uh, uh, trainings and meditation objects for people to practice along the same lines and to reach that same goal and if you just keep going broader and broader out, he built up a full ethical and moral system around that to actually, to actually live one's life in accordance with, uh, uh, with the Dhamma and to bring one closer to the Dhamma. Go further than that, he built up a community of people, the laywomen, laymen, laywomen, the monks and the nuns about, uh, and their social orders and practices of how to integrate with each other. And then if you keep going out, that teaching has lasted over 2,500-plus 2, years. So if you think the Dhamma is well expounded by the Blessed One, you think it's, this, it's this, this inner state of experience that this one person understood, but then he was able to pull it all the way out across, you know, across uh, uh, people and the community and time to actually to where we are now. So 
the Dhamma being expounded well by the Blessed One, that's, that's something that's just really astonishing to actually think about. The next, the next word in the chant is Sandetiko, and this means apparent here and now. And if you, if, you, if you think about this and you contemplate on this and you recollect this and you meditate on this, this is, this is, this is just one word about the Dhamma that, that can actually change your life so much, can really have a profound impact on you. you know, what is something that is here and now? It's obviously, it's right here with us in the present. It's not something that's some kind of far-off goal that we're, we need to work towards. Uh, it's not something that if we just keep practicing, we'll eventually get to this, this state. It's something that's already here. It's already in this one place that you actually inhibit. It's in your own experience. So we obviously, you know, all of you come here to practice and we, I guess like, like most of us, and I was, I'm exactly the same, I had this kind of idea when I first started practicing uh, that, you know, uh, you know I've, I've got all these the problems in my mind, I've, I've got all these defilements and these defilements just keep building up and up and, you know, uh, this is, I'm, becoming more and more deluded and I'm spinning around and I'm suffering more and more and the reason I'm suffering more and more is that I'm, I'm attaching to this sense of self that I have and what I really want to do is experience liberation and enlightenment and so we always see it as this far off thing but actually if you look at that word sanditiko, it's apparent here and now it's, it's already here this aspect of this, the defilements and the problems that I have in my own mind, they're in the same place that freedom and liberation is. We want to see through the illusory nature of the self. Well, that's right in this same place where the self is. So this continually looking at this and, and seeing that it's this same place that you think you are now, that you're deluded, you're still not enlightened, or you're still overrun by the sense of self, the Dhamma actually is in this same place that that is. The only problem is, is just you just can't quite, haven't learned how to notice it yet or, or, or let go this sense of self a little bit more. Uh, the next word in the, in the chant is akaliko and uh, Kaliko means timeless. And if you think about that word, what, what, does, what does something that, that is timeless, what does that mean? Something that is timeless, it's, it's ever-present. It's, it's always there. It doesn't go away. It's, if something is timeless, then it's not, it's not born. It doesn't die. It, it's not created. It can't be destroyed. It's ever-present and it's always with us. It's always there. It can't go away. And so, you know, there might be uh, some interpretations of, of in Buddhism that, okay, the Dharma of the, of the Buddha Gautama, it's only going to last 5,000 years and then it'll pass away and people won't be able to uh, realize it anymore to the next coming Buddha. Um, I, I understand the logic of that, that maybe people will become 
maybe people become uh, not as interested in it, so they won't strive for it. I, I get that. But I'm also very agnostic about the fact of, you know, how can something that is the, the true nature of our existence, how can that go away? It can't ever go away if it, if it is actually timeless. And so this, this as well points to the fact that it's not something that we you know, eventually we'll get to. It's already, it's already here now and it's already available for you if it, if it is timeless. The next, the next word is ehipasiko. Uh, and many of you know what ehipasiko means. It's a, it's a bit of a, a bit of a common catchphrase, uh, for, for, uh, uh Buddhism. ehipasiko uh, means encouraging investigation. And when you when you look at okay, what what does it what does it actually mean to to investigate something? And the whole of the whole of the Buddhist traditions and the whole of the Buddhist teachings, it's it is encouraging you to look at your own mind, look at your own experience, look at this thing that you're calling yourself. It's inviting you to be curious about what it is to be human. Um, it's encouraging you to look inward at your own experience and find this thing out for yourself. It's, in a way, you can look at this in terms of, you can, if you want to make the comparison, you can even compare it to like a, like a scientific inquiry into something. If you have some sort of question about something you want to find about in science, you have, you have a hypothesis, you have some sort of idea of what you want to look at, you find a way to measure that, you uh, observe the phenomena and you measure the phenomena that you want to look at, you uh, take the information from that and the results and then you interpret that. And the Dhamma is something like that as well. Uh, the process of looking for that is something like that as well, whereby you, know, you have an idea you have about how your experience is. You think, okay, this is basically what it's like to be a human being. Let's find a way to look at that. And finding a way to look at that is by using meditation. And you observe, through meditation, you observe your own experience. You see you see what happens when you observe and you see what the result is from that. And a lot of times with any kind of investigation, it mightn't be exactly the way that you think it's going to be. You know, you might read books or you might have somebody else, you might talk to someone else and it's like if you see the Dharma, it's like this or that. But for you yourself, it might be very different when you, when you look inside yourself. So... This is something we have to we have to look for ourselves. It's not something that somebody else can give to us. The next line is opanayiko, which means leading inwards. And and for me, this is this is actually the, the the crux of what it is. This is the most important part of what it is of leading inwards. Leading inwards. This shows that this is something that we have to find ourselves. We can't find, find it out in the world. We can't find it by reading about it. We can't find it by talking to other people about it. It's actually something that we have to look inside, look inside our own experience to actually to, to realize. And, and when you do this, when you, when you do look inside, it's, 
you know, you start to realize how much of a mess it is in there sometimes, and how, you know, how you know, how messy how messy the mind is, how uh, uh, distracted the mind is, um, and one can become a little bit frustrated. Um, and, and also, if you go even deeper than that, you keep looking back into your own experience. That there might be things in there that you don't like and you don't want to see. You know, the sort of those dark corners of your own mind that have the, all the regrets and the fears and the worries and the and the and the concerns and it has all these different kinds of things. And that, so that can be very confronting when you actually start to look inside and. Even when you get to a, a, a deeper level of that, the thing that can be the most you know, world-shattering is when you look into your own experience and look at this thing that you call a self and that you realize that this thing is merely illusory. And so everything that is your identity just drops away. That, can be, that actually can be quite terrifying. But the more you practice this and the more you look inside, uh, you, the more you get to understand the actual nature of this and it's not something to be terrified of. But you have to, you have to keep doing this. You have to be courageous enough to actually continue to do this, continue to go deeper and deeper and deeper. It's meditation and trying to find the Dhamma. It's not, it's not just all a, like a happy like a happy circus of peace and calm and happiness and joy. And you know, it's, it has those aspects, obviously, but it also has the aspects where it, is, it can be a little bit of a, uh, a struggle there. But if you do go through that, then you reach the, the last line of, the, of, that, of, that, of that chant. It's pachatang veditapo vinyuhi, which means to be experienced individually by the wise. And so if you've looked inside and you've gone through and you've understood the nature of the mind and you've gone through this, you've understood suffering, then you can truly be called wise. To be wise, it's not just, you know, you don't just, I don't know, read a book and then all of a sudden that you're wise. You know, you have to go through something to actually become wise and you have to experience something for yourself. You can't just listen to somebody else's teachings and all of a sudden now you're wise you know you have to live through this yourself and become wise so if you do look inside then you can actually be considered one of these wise individuals that that has seen the dhamma and so experienced individually by the wise this also can mean that again this this isn't something that can be transmitted to you or transmuted to you so the buddha can't make you enlightened the enlightened beings, they can't, they can't make you enlightened. This is something that you have to do for yourself and have to practice with yourself. So, you know, while I've, I've gone through all that, it's like, well, great, how do you, how do you, how do you actually do that? <laughs> how do you, yeah, it's, it's, it's all well and good to go through these sort of permutations, as how, <laughs> but how do you actually get to that? Well, you know, luckily, because the Dhamma is well expounded by the, by the Buddha, there is ways to do this. There is a path, there is a methodology to actually do that. And the way we do this is by, you know, when we first start to practice, we build up a very strong ethical and moral foundation whereby when we try to sit meditation, we don't have any regrets or we're not worried about any people that we've cheated or lied to and all these kinds of things. When you have that strong ethical framework 
and you've developed some stability of mind through meditation and, uh, and what we call uh, a focused awareness or samadhi. When you have a bit of a, at least at least a decent foundation of that, it doesn't have to be doesn't have to be overarchingly great. Um, you just have some stability of mind there. That's when you do what what is it part of the chant? Is you look inward, and what do you actually look at? You look at the nature of your own experience the, you look into the mind usually where we're so caught up in looking out through the mind into the world but what you have to learn to do is look back into the mind and the deeper you look into the mind you look you try to look for this thing that you call a self you look for this thing that is me this thing that is at the center of my conscious experience you try to find what that thing is. And the more you actually look for it, the less you find there. And so that not finding that thing that you call a self is actually finding the Dhamma. The more you can do that and realize that, it's, that there's, no, there's no sort of me, I, that's sitting in the middle of experience that owns this body and experiences all these sights and sounds, that it is merely just phenomena that arises. It's sights that arise, it's sounds that arise, it's thoughts that arise and pass away, and that there's no one there that actually experiences this. The more you start to realize, it's like, well, why, why would I cling to any of this? Why would I attach to any of this? the more you can actually start to let go of all these sights and sounds and thoughts and all these kinds of things. And the more you can do that, the more you'll be understanding and seeing the Dhamma that is in the here and now. And so initially it might just be like a short time. You might just sort of like get a glimpse, a really short glimpse. Oh, there's, there's nothing there. And it's amazing. But, you know, it goes back and you just go back to being normal, normal old, normal old you and... <laughs> And, but that's what the, the practice is, is continually coming back and trying to do that over and over again, trying to build up that foundation of mind and then look into the mind and look for the self. And these periods, they get longer and longer. You can d dwell in this state of not attaching to this, this perception that you perceive as a self. Um, you can do that for longer and longer periods. But again, it, it takes practice and we have to keep looking back at it. But the encouraging thing about the Dhamma, it's, it's, all, it's, it's there. It's there already. You just have to look for it. You just have to learn to notice, learn to notice it. So I've probably rambled on for, for a while now. And um, so just to, just to conclude then that, you know, the Dhamma, it's, it's not really something... While it's, it's very prominent in our lives as, as if you're a practicing Buddhist or you're practicing meditation, it's, I, I'd like to suggest, like, don't overlook it. Like, recollect it, investigate it, contemplate it on it, meditate on it, think about it a lot, exactly what it is. And when you do that, you'll start to realize that it's something, it's not something that's far away from you. It's not something that you, uh, is in some other time, another place. It's actually right here in this place that you can experience. And if you, the more you look inside, the more you try to look for this thing that you're calling a self, the more you're going to actually see the Dhamma. And the more you can do that, then you will truly be a wise person. And so, 
yeah, that's that's probably all I've got to got to say on that. So hopefully, uh, you know. Hopefully what I've said this morning, hopefully might be of benefit to you in some way, hopefully in your life and in your practice. Um, if it is, that's, that's really good, that's encouraging for me. Um, and if there's something that you didn't understand, you don't agree with, that's fine. You can ask me questions. Even if you don't agree with something, we can hash it out and see what we can come up with. So maybe if anybody has any questions now. No, no problem at all. Um, is there any meditation practices or contemplations that you'd suggest for no self to learn about? Yeah, yeah. To get closer to that. Sort yeah, of? yeah. It's um, you know, one way you can do that is by by you know when you're sitting there, you say for example you're watching the breath. You always have this feeling that okay, it's me here. I'm sitting here. I'm watching the breath. I'm paying attention. I'm paying attention to the breath more. When, when the mind is a little bit more calm, you can actually look at, okay, so what is this thing that's paying attention? Or if you notice a thought come up, just look back, who's the one that's actually thinking? Trying to look back into that, because obviously thoughts and things like that arise in our mind and we think, oh, you know, that's, that's me thinking, I'm the, I'm the owner of these thoughts. But if you look back at that, look back, look back into that, it's like, who's, okay, who's the one thinking? It's like, well, thoughts just sort of just come out of nowhere, they come out of the darkness, they drop back into the darkness kind of thing. There's nobody there that's a thinker. And so if you can turn your attention back on this thing that you think is paying attention, then this is a good way to do that. You can also do these with other, like other sensory modalities, like you hear a sound. You always think, okay, there's a sound of a car, it's, you know, it's, I'm the one that's sitting here hearing that. And again, if you look for, try to think, well, who is the one that's actually hearing? You realize, well, there's nobody really there that's hearing. It's just a sound that's coming and going. So you can continually, continually try to do that and uh, look back in any in any of the sensory modalities, like any like taste or feeling, um, uh, thoughts, uh, feelings, emotions, and all these kinds of things as well. Always try to look back behind that thing. Well, who's the one that's actually experiencing that? And you pull closer and closer into this thing that we feel like is the center of our existence. We have this feeling that this like, there's maybe like a me, like sort of, for me, it's like, I'm sort of like riding around up in my head and I'm driving this body or whatever and operating throughout the world. But looking back in at that thing that I think is me, that's, uh, that's, uh, I found that's one of the better ways, better ways to do it. And there's, you know, and sometimes it, there's those, so there's those specific practice, but specific practices, but sometimes it just sort of, just, just, you might, you might, your mind might get calm and all of a sudden just everything like drops out. Um, and so that can happen as well. And if something like that happens, you know, don't be, don't be worried about it. Don't be, um, scared about it. Some people can get a little bit, uh, concerned. Um, but it's, if, as, as long as you look at it in the terms of, that again, this is just another experience that arises and passes away. This isn't a this isn't a lasting state of mind. It's not like you're 
you know, it's not like yourself's dropped away and you'll never ever find yourself and you won't remember who you are and you, you won't, you know, you don't even know if these keys are your own keys. Like, it's not going to be like that. It's, it's, it's okay. So just try to, try to accept the experience for what it is and then just, just let it go. And it's like, oh, that's good. That's a, that's a, that's an encouraging state. But I guess another, one other thing that I'd say about it as well, if, if you have some kind of experience like this, you know, you know, don't take this as like, sweet, I'm enlightened. Like, uh, I've, man, I've got this worked out. Like, yeah. d d like, don't, yeah, don't, like, don't do that. It's like, okay, you've had a good, you've had a good experience, but it's only the first step. You have to keep going back and continuing to do that. And a lot of us, you know, might have some uh, uh, good meditation, a uh, good week of meditation. It's like, man, yep. Yeah. Yeah, nothing can nothing can perturb me like it's, yeah. and but really it's just a transient experience. So you just have to continue to go back to it. It's like, oh, well, this thing is not sure. This experience that I had is not sure. It's only the first step. I have to keep going back and doing it. It's an encouraging step. It's a step in the right direction, but it still is only the first step. Yeah. So, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. All right, good. Yeah, thank good. you. The Bhante, thank yep. you for explaining the salutation of Dhamma very clearly. No problem. We always recite that, and a lot of people, we don't really, really understand what it means. It's really profound. Okay, the salutation you. Dhamma. Yeah, uh, the, you say that you go inwards, 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 and find that the, there's no self, that mm. is the liberation. Mm. Uh, I see that uh, in the whole practice of uh, Buddha's teaching, mm. uh, what you find is how this view of self is created. Mm. by our ignorance. Mm. When you find out how it is created by understanding the five aggregates of arising, mm. dependent origination, and the uh, true nature of how it works. Mm. I think that is the, when you understand how it is formed mm. by ignorance, I think that is the time you realize this is a d illusion. Yeah. The view of self is illusion. Mm. Mm -hmm. Is that right, Dom? Yeah, yeah. Like it's it's that you know that's another way. That's another way to look at it. Look you at obviously, it, yeah. you look at parts of the Buddha's teaching. Say, for example, the the second main discourse of the Buddha, the Anattalakana Sutta, yeah. um, where the Buddha asks the five aesthetics of uh, uh, his five his five first disciples. Just for anybody that doesn't know, he went through each of those what we call the five aggregates which is uh, something that the, the way that the Buddha formulated it this is the phenomena that makes up existence that makes up your human existence and he asked uh, is you know, do you, is there a self that's in the body is there a self that's in feelings is there a self that's in uh, perception and memory is there a self that's in thoughts is there a self that's in conscious experience and obviously they went through each one and said, no, 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 no. And so that's what the Buddha was aiming at, that there isn't something that we call a self in that. Obviously, we usually think the memories that, that come up in my mind, that's me, and the thoughts that come up in the mind, that's me, and you know, this is my body and I own it. But obviously, you start to see that this isn't, these aren't things that you can control. Uh, you, they arise by them. You can't control the body. You can't control if the body gets sick and gets ill. Um, you, know, uh, you, you can't really control your thoughts. They just, they just come up and they just keep annoying you. And um, so, 
these these are these are this is phenomena that's out of our hands in a way and that's why that there's no self in that as well there's nobody there that's controlling it and so yeah if you can if you you can look at it in that way as well okay well how does how does this self form i you know i attach to all these things this body it's like yeah this is my body these thoughts yeah this is me this is me thinking these memories this is me thinking about these things this emotion this feeling i have this this thing is me and i'm i'm angry i'm sad i'm happy um you can see that we attach to that because you know that's like that's what we've got you know that that's all you've really got in life you know you, you've got your experience so you take your experience as me and obviously there's there's some sort of there's some sort of a, a like evolutionary advantage of that of you know it keeps the organism going or whatever but um so yeah if you can look as well at how that thing builds up and then look at its constituent parts as well and then okay well I'm you know I'm not my feelings or something like that then that's also a good way to do it as well does that make sense yes, yes okay good good hmm. Good morning, Dante. Hey, morning. Uh, thanks, Ajahn, for your teachings today. A uh, couple of things came to my mind, so thought of asking you. Yeah. Maybe these are stupid questions, so you can forgive me for that. Because no, 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 it's fine. I'm a stupid person, so can't think about much no, things. No, it's fine. So, yeah. I've, I've asked many stupid questions in my life, so, and I've given many stupid answers as well. So. <laughs> okay. So. Uh, you said regard just now you uh, you said something like a uh, few minutes back like uh, try to know who is the basically in a way the f observer of the phenomena right mm -hmm. something like who sees and who hears yep. uh, if i tell you regarding uh, when this type of uh, question basically when i try to think about this thing not many times but sometimes but usually somehow uh, maybe my stupid brain just gives me an answer, something like if I ask who is seeing something in my mind says that, okay, my brain is seeing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then I say that, That's okay, it. brain is just a fun body part and then basically we, as per some uh, videos which we have seen, like mm. some documentaries are there in the YouTube or something, like mm -hmm. the latest scientific discoveries mm. and something related to quantum physics as well. So mm. in a way, yeah, so we know that, okay, there is something like, for example, the thing like color. Mm. Color doesn't exist in reality. It's mm. something like something created by the mind itself. Mm. So I can say that, okay, my brain doesn't think it. Something like my mind thinks it. Mm. So, but after that, usually the discussion in the mind usually stops. Something like uh, who sees and answers usually comes like something around my mind sees. And basically, mm. it then maybe I can ask something like what is my mind. And then basically, it's something like nothing comes up. It's something like just what is my mind. And yeah, mm. some mm. maybe one or two moments or something yep, and then yep, nothing yep. is there and then usually that question subsides in a way mm. so how can a person basically develop a question which basically goes along with yeah, it yeah, along yeah. How, how, do, how do you how do you uh, uh, yeah, basically extenu that extenuate that understanding yeah or yeah. at least have that question going through with you basically mm. that question just drops off basically mm. Okay, five minutes I thought about it today and then basically that question doesn't even matter to me for the remaining of the day. Mm -mm. Few months passed by, few years passed by, mm. I didn't thought about that question. Mm -mm. So how can somebody create a question for themselves which uh, can continue with them till the 
time they actually find the answer for mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. because you know so much matter is available on the internet so in a way yeah, yeah. all the information yeah. is there in a way whatever yeah. you want everything is there so in a way all the answers are available in yeah. a way so yeah, how I think to I think okay I think I understand your question it's uh like there, there are all. There's definitely there's a there's a, a a danger of that of like you go okay well okay try to look inside oh, who's this one that's here so, oh there's no one here and it's like yeah so what like no you, yeah. you, I'm not going like, to that stage that yeah. you are seeing that uh, there is no one there basically that danger even is not appearing it's mm. something like the answer is coming in the mind something like okay I have read in the theoretical things mm, that mm, mm, okay my mind thinks mm. and then what is my mind my mind is something like it's some yeah. teaching sets everywhere it's yeah. basically everything is in the mind yeah. something like that so yeah yeah uh, yeah yeah i understand and um there there is how would you say it's it's not always just a question uh like some a, a way you can do it is sort of by asking yourself a question but uh more what i'm trying to get at as well it's a way of observing using your attention to look into this thing that you think is you so while you can use like some kind of questioning modality of like what is this thing that I call a self? Who am I? Blah blah blah. You can do that, and it, it can be very perfunctory in some ways. What is what makes it really deep and really uh, can make it really profound is actually using your attention to look back into this thing and, and actually observing it for what it is, and not just not just questioning it. If you find questioning helps, then, you know, then that's, a, that's a good thing and you find a uh, particular kind of line of questioning that helps, you know, that's good. Um, but it's more about actually putting your attention back on that phenomena, the phenomena that's arising and passing away. And so what can also happen as well is like, okay, yeah, I, I, I realize that, I realize that, you know, it's just the brain doing this thing and, you know, you can have that, a little bit of that kind of, so what kind of experience, but it's one of these things, the more you do it, the more you do it, it's like, yeah, the first time you do it, so what, who cares, you try it again, who cares, you you investigate a little bit more, so, oh, hang on, I'm getting it. I, and when you like finally like get it, it's like, oh. So you just have to just keep going back to it, keep observing this thing that you think is there in the middle of your experience so yeah so it's not necessarily just a line of inquiry and a line of questioning it's a uh, it's also a methodology of actually observing and paying attention to your own experience how it is in this present moment does that make sense yeah yeah and so basically how do we make sure that we are paying attention properly well, that's the challenge, isn't it? It's yeah. <laughs> that's the that's the whole that's the whole practice. Like, you know, as long as you're paying attention to what's arising in the present moment, you're being aware of it, and you're not you're you know you're not making up this kind of story about it. Okay, there's a thought arising, and and this is me thinking, and and this thought's really really important, and you know everything in the world depends on it. As long as you're paying attention to this process that's happening that this is arising this is just something that's arisen this is something stays for a little while and something this passes away if you pay attention in that way uh, eventually eventually you'll be you know you're moving in the right direction but if you're paying attention to something and you're just getting lost by it 
Okay, I'm paying attention to my thought, and this thought goes on to that thought, and this thought goes on to that thought, and you're just sort of like spinning with it. Then that's going in the wrong way. You're trying to find this, oh, okay, I'm, okay, what is the self? Is the self here? Is it there? Blah, 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 blah. And you're just spinning, 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 and thinking and thinking and thinking. Like That's going in the wrong way. You'll know that you're paying attention in the right way if the mind becomes calm and still. If you look back or you pay attention to this thing and, and things sort of still and become stable and solid. But if it is this kind of perpetual spinning cycle kind of thing then then that's probably go attention going in the wrong way so do you think that something like um no you can continue no i will take some time so you can um, excuse me for that, but I was just going to say that one of the things that we have to do uh, when we come into um, uh, the Buddhist practice for mm. many of us is to recondition um, the, the the right view, for example, yep. and and that reconditioning process is a, is a mental process mm. um, and a very important one. Mm. So, uh, sorry, just in case, just so I understand the question properly. It, in a sense, it isn't a question, but we do have to re we have to set our minds, if you wish, mm. into a certain pattern mm. of thinking. And we're talking here about non-self, yeah. but I'm talking about this conditioning process yeah, right that on. is very important. Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, you you have to. Uh, I guess in a way, you you need some sort of like formwork, formwork there as well to actually have some kind of practice that pushes you in the right direction but you know eventually you drop the formwork as well does that make sense yeah yeah yeah. 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 yeah yeah so it's like you you the the process of meditation and practicing the dhamma it is really it it's about observe, observing our own experience and seeing what the what the sort of the problem is there and yeah, and actually continually, continually looking at that and continually trying to develop right view. You know, the way you know, we have things in the world and we sort of attach to our thoughts and all these kinds of things. But right view is, okay, I see that everything's impermanent, that everything that I attach to is suffering. This is a good framework for us to use to actually get to that point. Does that make sense? Or? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I have sure. one or two. So, uh, if, yeah, if, if somebody's asking a question <laughs> okay. from the ether of the internet, it's yeah. yeah. Thank you, Ajahn. Yep. We have uh, this one question so far mm. online. Um, the person's actually still just formulating, helping to explain their question. Okay. Originally it was, is it, I do not know mm. phenomena, mm. a way to achieve Dharma? Yep. And then it's an explanation like, like not finding the answer. Yeah, that's my so problem as well. It's... Is it, um, <laughs> I, I don't know if I quite understand yeah, the question. I'm, I actually, I'm struggling to understand it also. Yeah. But I think it's this sense of looking but not finding something or not finding an answer. 
right. more than an answer coming, yeah. it's the fact that there is no answer. Is yeah. this the way to to find a dhamma? I'd, I'd say I'd say if if that's if that's the formulation of the question, I I would say that's correct because you, as I was saying in the talk, is if you're trying to look at something. If you're trying to look for this thing that's a self, you know, start with the assumption that okay, I've got this thing that's a self. Um, you know, I feel like I've got a self. Uh, this is sort of this is permeated throughout my life, throughout childhood. So look to see if you've got this thing that's called a self, and you'll the more you look for it, the more you you won't find it. And that not finding is the thing that that really makes you understand it a little bit better. Um, and there doesn't, you know, there doesn't necessarily need to be a one-to-one answer of like, sweet, now Ajahn Satoru has found that there's no self, and I've got th- like the thought that thought doesn't have to come up in the mind. It, it 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 can be a it is more a sense of knowing. It is more a sense of being being open and and free of that concept that that I am the thing that knows this it is just more this 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 stillness of stillness of knowing so hopefully that answers the question it sounds very much like zen approach maybe yeah I don't know but it's fundamental dharma teaching there's no answer yeah yeah it's um yeah, I, I guess I guess it could be, you know, it could be in that way. There's, I, I, potentially there is a bit of koanic kind of questioning methodology there. At um, yeah. With the modern physics, everything in universities. Uh, movement of particles, mm. uh, movement of protons and neutrons. Mm. Uh, that's what the, all phenomena in the universe. That means we are also that, we are mm. part of it, mm. movement of particles. And, mm. uh, what I understand is uh, using the sight. Mm. If I observe, say, you, for example, mm. then I moment I create you, then I create myself. It's a transiently. I create myself. Mm. Then I look at somebody else. Mm. I create him. Then I create another self. Yep. So at that time, I find that this self is a transient creation of me mm. all the time. Mm. And it's not a permanent thing. Mm. And uh, we use that to live in this conventional world, I mean, conditioned world. Mm. So that's another way of seeing that this I is a transient thing that we have created just to survive in this conditioned world. Yeah, there's a you know there's a subject there that's looking at looking at objects. There's a subject there, and and what those objects are, they're obviously they're, they're formulations of you know of different elementary properties, and you know like there's yeah. But I guess I guess more what I'm pointing at as well is that there's there there is knowing that, and there's understanding that, but then there's knowing that. This thing that you take as yourself—that's also just that as well. This is also just this compounded, compounded thing that you've formed together, and it's—it's it's not really actually the thing that you that you think it is. It's—it is just this, you know, this appearance in consciousness that arises because of uh, different kind of synaptic joints in a, in a particular functioning human brain and all these kinds of things. You know, you can go down those those rabbit holes a bit, but it's it's I've I've always found it better to 
you know, uh, just to keep looking at your own experience. And yeah, the, you know, the, the, the phenomena in the world is the phenomena in the world and there uh, we do perceive it in a particular kind of way and we take it as a particular context and we uh, form things as particular objects. But then also remembering that this thing that we call me is is a part of that same process. So there is no, just like there is nothing, there is you know nothing at the base of that that stool there. This thing that I think is me, there's nothing at the at the at the base of that as well. Uh, Ajahn, regarding uh, your uh, ex uh, basically the way you explained the whole. Uh, Dhamma thing. So, in a way, can we relate that Dhamma to something like awareness in a way, or the suchness of the reality, something like ultimate reality? Yeah, 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 yeah for sure. It's um, uh, you could you could say that it's a it's it's one and the same thing. The awareness of reality is is one and the same thing. And but where it potentially gets a little bit tricky is that, okay. You think, okay, I'm aware. I'm aware of uh, uh, of reality as it is, but then you also have this kind of sense of, okay, I'm the one that's aware of reality. Yeah. You know, and that you know, you you just sort of like get tricked again. Hmm. Uh, you think, cool, I've got it now, but you've just sort of like tricked yourself again. So that's why it is important to always be just coming back to your to your experience and trying to and trying to see it. So whether it whether it is you know, suchness as is, or it, uh, it's something beyond that. The most important thing is just to keep coming back to your own experience and looking at that. So, so something like what we say uh, in Zen or in in Zen tradition, or in basically Ch uh, the Chan Buddhism, mm. which we say something like to maintain that uh, correct thought of no thought in a way, so that in a way because thinking can't reach it anyways. So mm. till the time we are thinking, we are out of scope in a way mm -hmm. and sorry I don't understand the question so basically that thing which we say uh, something like uh, we say something like uh, in order to have that particular looking back so obviously mm. when we are looking back then there can't be any thoughts right in that situation because if we are thinking we are not look basically looking in a way right mm -hmm. so something like if we are and more I think the moment we try to be aware of a thought I think the thought vanishes by itself mm. at that moment mm. so Logically, there is a thing like we are trying to be aware and basically there is a things, yeah, basically there is thing there, but we are not thinking about it. Mm -hmm. So something like we are sitting, if the eyes are closed, then okay, the blank thing is there, but yeah, we are looking at it, but uh, not thinking about it. Something, um, how do we look inwards in a way? So yeah, that's the, that's again, again, that's the, that's, that's the, that's the, uh, that's the practice. That's just what you have to just keep trying to do and keep going back in. I think. I think. I think that's the approach whereby hmm. when there's thinking, you you're either thinking back or thinking forward. So by not thinking, you're forcing yourself to look at the present moment. Hmm. So that is the approach of going there. Hmm. So when you say when you, when you have no thought, meaning you're not thinking back, you're not thinking forward. Hmm. So the only thing you can have is thinking present. That's what it means. Great answer, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's not, it doesn't mean that you're not thinking at all. It's just that you just look at the present moment. That's it. Hmm. So for those online who couldn't hear that comment, because it wasn't near a microphone, huh? <laughs> that was about any thinking is usually looking forward or looking backwards, hmm. whereas it's not so much about not thinking at all, but just being with the present moment. Is that a summary? Yeah. All right. There are a couple of um, 
there's an interesting observation slash question related to this. Ajahn, I personally think that the reason our mind goes back to ignorance, mm. even after we have a, a sudden realization of no self, is that the mind is not one cohesive, all-encompassing landmass like a country, mm. but more like an archipelago of islands of independent thoughts. Mm. One realization does not make a realization for all of them. The trick is to share and proliferate this, these realizations to each and every independent thinking little mind. In your meditations, mm. have you ever experienced these little minds that seem to think for themselves? Yeah, I guess so. Like just, and if we're just going to talk from a, a, a like a personal experience, yeah, there, there, there. The more you practice meditation, the more you start to realize there are these yeah, different little minds there. There's this mind that's that's uh, that's 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 happy in one one aspect. There's mind that's sad. There's this mind that that thinks I'm a particular person when I'm in a social group. There's a mind that that you know that this other kind of mind that is a self that remembers all these different kinds of things. There's a mind that when I was a kid, there was a mind when I was an adolescent, there was you know, a mind that now I'm, now I'm a monk and all these kinds of things. So, yeah, there are these, these fragmentary factions of a mind that can potentially make up, make up what you consider to be yourself. So, and that's, I guess, you know, that's, that's a part of it as well, is that, as, as the questioner said, it's not really this one huge landmass it is these yeah many many uh many little things that come together and make that up but the thing is uh, we take all this all these little tiny things to be this like to be the mind to be our existence and so if you actually see them as individual things and you can it's it it is much easier for you not to attach to it this this one little landmass of me of being me being anxious this is the anxious me you don't have to attach to that as much because you realize that there's these other these other ones as well and there's potentially ones that are more wholesome um so yeah i hope hope that answers the question there's just one last uh, online question yep. uh, but it's a very broad one okay uh, so i'm wary of how much this opens up but it's just how can i practice right view in daily life so um, that's a whole series of Dharma talks in well, itself, perhaps. But perhaps that, 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 could, that could be the next talk. Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, I'm conscious of that. Perhaps in yeah. the perspective of what we've been talking about in yep. terms of looking at, yeah, um, yeah. looking well, at the Dharma. If to to give to give a quick, uh, what, what time do we finish up? We finish up pretty uh, soon. Yeah. Oh, 10.30. Oh, so we've got, we got a bit more time. Okay. Okay, cool. I can, I can give a bit longer answer then. So, um, if you look at the definition of what right view is, it's, it's, it's of knowing the Four Noble Truths. And so, if we want to try to develop right view in our life, um, de develop right view in our daily life, our way to do that is recollecting about the Four Noble Truths, seeing that that everything that arises in your existence is 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 dukkha, is suffering, is unsatisfactoriness in some way, and that the reason that you're having this unsatisfactoriness is because you're you know clinging, you're attaching to this, 
and knowing that there is a way out of that through the practice you you can that you can actually be free of that and then by actually practicing the eightfold path to get to that so how do you make right view a part of your daily life you investigate the four noble truths and but most importantly you practice the eightfold path as well um, and obviously right view is a part of that but you practice these uh, these other aspects of uh, right right intention right mindfulness right concentration right speech right effort um, you practice all these facets of the Eightfold Path. And the more you can actually do that, the more you will be living actually within, within living your daily life more within having right view. That's a quick answer. Sorry. <laughs> Any other questions? No, so is who's who's been coming here for for a very long time, and who's anybody here that's been coming here for a long time? Yeah, yeah. Who's who's been coming here for not many times, or maybe only the first time? No? Maybe it goes to the definition of long time. Long time. <laughs> When was the BSV started? In the 50s or something? 53, yeah. yeah. So that's one, one definition of the long time, but... Personally, I uh, when I when I was still a layperson, I you know, I was just doing the doing the normal things that, that most that most twenty year olds do and trying to trying to uh, build up a name for myself and build up some kind of success in the world. And um, I started to do that, and I started to get a few of those things that I that I really wanted out of life. And the more I got them, the more I realized it's like, well, is that it? Do I just keep? Do I just keep spinning? Do I just keep spinning more and more like this? Is this going to be the rest of my life? And so I wanted to. I started to investigate of like, okay, what's what is actually going to be something then that that does give me some form of contentment, that does give me some form of satisfaction with the effort that I'm putting forward in my life, um, and also something that will. You know, if I can get it, it, it is it is actually going to make me happy, and that's when I started to practice some meditation. And I actually just 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 by accident came came in contact with it. I was living in Sydney at the time, and I you know I was just looking for like a a, a cheap place to stay in a in a nice suburb, and I I found a place, and it was really cheap. I'm like, oh, I'll go and I'll go and check this place out. And I went there and I opened the door and there's all these like colorful paintings all over the wall and stuff. And it was, it was actually a Tibetan, it was a Tibetan gompa. And I asked them, I was like, oh, so why is it so cheap? They're like, oh, you rent a room upstairs and uh, then, you know, so are you okay with like having this Tibetan Buddhist center down the bottom? I'm like, yeah, it's 
it's fine. Yeah, it's awesome. It's really cheap. It's in the middle of Sydney. It's awesome. <laughs> so through the process of staying there and starting to become uh, more interested in introspective practices, I started to practice a little bit more meditation. And then there was somebody there that um, had ordained in the, in the Theravada tradition. And he introduced me to uh, uh, different books of like Ajahn Chah and Mahabua and introduced me more into the ways of, you know, practicing Anapanasati and things like that. So I was practicing, I was practicing a lot of meditation. Um, and I found when I started to practice meditation, you know, it, was, it wasn't like some sort of like blinding insight, but I, f I had some sort of aptitude with it. And as soon as I started practicing, I, I realized it's like, yeah, this is what I'm looking for. This contentment, this joy, this satisfaction with just being with myself that this is what this is what I'm after in life this is the kind of feeling I'm after and so I just I continued to practice meditation I took some time off I went to traveled I traveled throughout Southeast Asia and uh, I you know got to Thailand and when I got to Thailand I realized uh, that you know there's many monasteries I wanted to go and see in the forest and stuff like that and so I stayed with a lot of the a lot of the good teachers and a lot of the lot of the very a uh, lot of the monasteries that are off in the in the jungles of Thailand, and I realized when I got to Thailand that there were I saw people that they just ordained for a period of time. Say they might ordain for three months and then they disrobe and go back, and some do it for longer. So I thought, oh, I've got a bit of time off. I'll I'll I'll, I'll give this a whirl, see what happens, uh, give it a try. And yeah, I got to I got to a a place in Rayong, in the like it's in central Thailand, and the the teacher there was Ajahn Anand, and I got there and I I had a good rapport with him, so I just thought I'll oh, I'll just old Dane here and I'll see I'll see actually what what comes of this, and yeah, I I was was quite lucky that it that it worked out for me, and I'm I'm still just really doing that just seeing seeing how this thing will work so, <laughs> it's been it's been a few years now but i'm still just seeing and testing it out so <laughs> but yeah i so i lived i lived for many years in thailand about it was about in total in total not including the time that i was a monastic but before before i was a monastic as well about about 10 years in thailand and i um, then I came back to Australia about about seven years ago, um, and was living at some of the forest monasteries in Sydney and Canberra and things like that. And so at the moment now I'm in I'm in Adelaide. So yeah, yeah. So it's been it's been it's been a long ride. I've um you know I've, I've you know stayed at a lot of the, like the great. The great meditation masters have stayed at a lot of their monasteries and learnt from them and um, uh, practiced under them and spent periods of time you know, practicing with them and learning. So it's it's been you know it's been a really it's been a really re rewarding experience and it's been something that you know, I, I I I've I've tried to think of the counterfactual of like how my life would have turned out if I hadn't become a monk and I I can't I, I just I can't get it I, I don't know. I don't know what I'd be doing. I don't know what sort of path it would have careered off to. It's, it's, you know, it probably wouldn't have been something that's so great. So actually, actually, just 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 falling into this opportunity that I did was was really auspicious, and it was something, you know, I 
the, the quality of my life uh, because of being a Buddhist monastic now is it's it's phenomenal. I get to, I get to spend my life, you know, looking at the nature of the mind and investigating experience and asking these, you know, my, my whole job is like asking the big questions in life is like, who am I? Why am I here? What's the purpose? What's the meaning of this all? That's, that's what I get to do. So I'm very, I'm very, uh, you know, I'm really, I'm really grateful to actually to have that, have that opportunity. It's, um, yeah, don't know what I would be doing. It's, I don't know. Yeah. Wouldn't have a clue. So. <laughs> Hopefully, I'd be probably sitting in the audience somewhere, but I, I don't know. I don't know. You can ask like normal questions. It doesn't have to be about like the nature of the mind and the self. You can just like you just ask normal questions as well. It's like why do you, why do you wear this? Like you know, those kind of questions are fine as well. Like, yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure, for sure. So just following up on your brief introduction to yourself, Ajahn, mm. it's just saying thank you for your talk. Mm. What is the name of the Adelaide Temple where Ajahn lives and does it have a website? Uh, I'm at Bodhipala Forest Monastery at the moment and it does have a website and I have no idea what the website address is. <laughs> Could you spell the name of it? B-O-D-H-I-P-A-L-A. Yeah, so yeah. you should be able to search that up and yeah, find should, a website. Yeah. Thank you. you you'll, you'll, historically, you won't find many photos of me. I've, I've, like, all my life, I've, like, whenever somebody brings out a camera or something, I usually, like, duck away. And so it's like, you stayed at this monastery for this long. It's like, yeah, there's no photos of you. Yeah, no, I ran away most of the time. So. <laughs> so if you're if you're looking for me on the internet, you probably won't find me. So. Ah, oh, okay. Well, 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 that's over now then. So. <laughs> okay. Thank you. So, so do we do like a closing or something? So, so what we'll do is we'll just uh, we'll pay pay respects to the Buddha. We'll, we'll bow three times. We can do the uh, arahang if if everybody knows it. Arahang Samma Sambuto Pakawa Bhutang Pakawantang Habiwa Demi Swagato Pakawata Tammo Tamang Namasami Supatipano Pakawato Sawaka Sanko Sankang Namami.